0: Okay, welcome everybody to the Old Grad Podcast. Uh, today is Sunday, May 17th, 2020. And uh, we are here with our esteemed classmate, uh, Bernard Seeger, company D4, uh, Branch infantry from Cascade Locks, Oregon. Uh, Bernard, are you there? Ooh, yeah. I, uh, I'm getting a little bit of feedback here, so I want to make sure I get this thing... Uh, Correctly, I, I gotta just turn down my my sound on my computer. I think that's what the problem is. So,
1: uh, we dude, welcome,
0: who uh, ya, who ya, How
2: are you? <laughs> good to be here. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for doing this. You have a good weekend. I did. Yeah, I uh, did a little trail running and uh, whacking weeds out there um, this afternoon. Uh, so I just whack till I'm tired, and I just put down my weed whacker and I keep running. You know, it's about a two mile stretch on this uh, little mountain trail, but the weeds just going crazy right now in the spring. So, um, I can I only got like 500 meters in me. I, I think I drop it. I'm dead. My arms are dead. So you're weed whacking in but your yard
0: in your yard or something? You're weed whacking? No, this is a trail out in the mountains near my house is it like your trail or something or like you said you're you're running on that trail or no
2: no it's a forest service trail that just they're not maintaining cuz of the virus and everything so the weeds are getting crazy and like there's blackberries and everything so i'm trying to clean it up for me and anybody else that wants to go run out there how far do you go when you go for a trail run like what
0: what's a typical trail run look like no like 5 miles yeah I saw, you know, when we were like doing, getting ready for the podcast and everything, did like, like a couple of Google searches to, to, on on your name and stuff. I saw you won some big race or something, right? You're like, uh, you, did you run like a, did you win like a triathlon or something? You won like a, a, a race? That... Uh,
2: I ran the, I, I won the, the Mount Hill, uphill climb race uh, when it first started and uh, held the record for a couple of years and then some young punk uh, beat me about two years ago uh it's just like a straight up the mountain it out at Mount Hood Meadows a ski resort for about a mile and a half total lung burner man but I love running mountains so um that stuff made rings me joy
0: so when you're running what's your typical pace what's your like you're still like uh, you're still uh, you're still in, like phenomenal shape I think right
1: Well,
2: uh, I've always been a decent runner. Um, You know, I can still run about a 6.10 mile if I'm running on flat, you know. Um, I ran a 10K last year and ran like 6.07 for the six miles. But, um, you know, we'll see how long that lasts. I'm trying to just – I only run a couple times a week, but I run hills and I run mountains. And, uh, you know, I think it keeps you well.
0: You have any problems with your knees or your your uh hips or anything or any kind of like old man old man problems? So similar?
2: far
1: so good.
2: Uh, every now and then my right knee. I tore my my ACL at West Point um uh one ski weekend up in uh uh in New York. No, in Vermont. In Vermont. And it's always been a little compromised. Um so every now and then I'll kind of overexert it and I have to rest it. But generally it's holding up so that's
0: been good you know i my my daughter runs like she's she's a she's a soccer player and she's a really good really good runner she runs like 6 minute miles and uh, i mean there's just no way i could run with her but i was at the track with her about a year ago i said i'm going to run as fast as i can for one mile just see what see how fast i could run one mile and i was struggling to get in under 8 minutes i'm embarrassed to say uh, it was it not, not, not very good, but actually just yesterday I ran, um, I ran a couple uh, sub nine minute miles, so that's all right. I mean, but that's old man
2: speed. That's good. But I heard, I heard you run the army 10 mile. Is that an annual event for
1: you?
0: Yeah, it's become one. It's kind of like one of those gut check things, you know, it's just like, just no, just getting yourself in shape enough to be able to run 10 straight miles. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not setting any records. That's for sure. I'm just trying to finish, you know? That's good
1: work, man. I
2: I ran that. I was on the Fort Lewis team, the I Corps. They didn't like when you call it I Corps, but the first Corps team, uh, whatever, whenever that was, like 95, 96. They sent me to D.C. to run for the team. Uh, I got my ass kicked, man. It's funny how you can go for a run, and when you you know, like in the first mile, you're going to do well, because either you feel awesome or you feel like crap. And like that first mile was brutal, and the next nine were just painful, you know. When I did the race, but when I when I tried out, I was just flying. I mean, I I, I ran like a fifty-five minute ten mile, dude. It was incredible. Wow. So so give me but, the rundown.
0: Uh, so so you're, you're living you're living in Cascade Locks, Oregon now, right? And and uh, and, yes. and you recently left one role and you're kind of transitioning into another one. So, so give me the lowdown professionally, yeah. family,
2: the whole yeah. story. Sure. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I, uh, just to uh, go back a little, you know, I, I did graduate school after the army. to study local government. I did a master's in public administration finished in 2002. And for the last 18 years, I've been working in local government, uh, working in cities, Mostly cities. I worked in one county, and then um, you know I've been saving and invest. I've never got married, never had kids. So when you do that, and you make some you know some reasonable decisions along the way, I kind of I'm kind of like semi retired now. Um, I, I left my job in April uh, of eight years with the city of Gresham. It's a suburb city of of uh, Portland. And now I'm kind of retooling myself to focus uh, the rest of my energy on climate change.
0: That's pretty intense um, and very admirable as well. And um, hats off to you for being able to get to a point where you can really just, you know, focus on what you're passionate about and where you've got purpose. And uh, we'll talk more about that, on like, later in the podcast, because sure. we want to end with what you're doing for uh, for climate change. That's, that's, that's I, just amazing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yep. That's just amazing. But, you know, in terms of your, your role serving in, in local public government, that that to me is fascinating because I think that, you know, generally that's a path that's less taken for, for for West Pointers, like to go into that type of government and administrative work. Not It's not an elected office. It is public servant serving people who are elected. That's basically what your career has been for the last – 15, 20 years. Right.
2: Right. Well, I mean, you're serving the, the citizen. Uh, your boss is the elected uh, council and they set policy, they allocate resources, but you know, my customer is all the citizens who live in the communities that I work for. So, you know, we're trying to keep them, you know, safe through police, you know, uh, healthy through 911, you know, and, and the emergency response, uh, property protected also through police and fire. We're trying to make the roads uh, run smoothly uh, with good traffic systems. You want a great park system, so they have places to recreate. Uh, some cities run libraries. Ours, our, my last didn't. Um, you, you do, you know, all the utility, all the infrastructure, so water sewer, stormwater systems are typically run by cities. So you want to provide, you know, clean water and you want to properly treat the sewer before it goes out into the, uh, into the, you know, the, the bigger bodies of water and just, you know, it's great. Cause you know, for me, the attraction was, was an ecosystem. When I left the army, I was like, I want to do something in ecology, but I want to, I want to focus on the community ecosystem. And I started poking around and I realized, Oh my God, this city manager stuff, that's what they do. They manage community ecosystems, the environment, the economic health, the infrastructure, all the pieces that you hope work well to make people's lives, create the environment so people can be successful with their daily lives.
0: So did you make that decision before you went to get your master's in public policy? Like that's the role that I want is to be a city administrator. Very much so.
2: Yeah. Uh, do you want to jump into that story? Sure. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, so, uh, I decided I wanted to leave the army. It was kind of funny because it involves of our graduates. Uh, I was, uh, doing, um, uh, observation control for Kenny Mint. and we're in Germany and I think we're at Grafenberg, you know, and, um, He's doing a live fire, and he's a company commander. I hadn't gotten command yet. And it's just a foggy, cold, miserable Germany German winter day, you know. And, um, you know, Kenny Mintz was out there, uh, and it was a live fire with his platoons, you know. And he was just loving it, you know. And as, as much as that, that environment was miserable, he was so fired up to be actually to, to work with his platoon leaders and, and train them to do live fire with a Bradley fighting vehicle company, uh, company. And I, you know, I can't help but say, God, you know, this is not inspiring me. Um, I am not, I don't want to be in Ken, Kenny Minton's shoes right now. And that kind of triggered me, you know, do I want to be a battalion commander at that time it was the peacetime army. Do, does it just, does, does my life goal, involved me taking a battalion to like the NTC or, you know, JRTC, And it just didn't, it didn't connect with me at a deep kind of soulful level. And I said, you know what? I probably shouldn't be an infantry officer. I probably should leave the army. And that was about 97. So I, I, I did my three years in, in uh, the rest of the tour in Germany, but uh, about halfway in the middle of there, I got sent to Turkey and to do this like special operations planning, tasking. And I had like five months down there at Interlake air base. Uh, we were doing operation, operation Northern watch, you know, trying to keep peace over Northern Iraq and um, pretty boring mission. And it was just a great opportunity to explore my next step in my life. And I literally went to the library. and I just said, okay, what is the life like as a teacher? What were what, what things that interest me? And then what is the life like in these different career? What would that career path look like? And did a lot of soul searching. And I, I kind of, uh, decided there were like three things that I wanted to do for my next career. Uh, one, I wanted to do something in public service. You know, my, my experience at West Point very much ingrained a, a public service ethic in me. Uh, Two, I wanted to work in a job where I could pick where I live. If you if you spend enough time with me, you know geography matters. Specifically big snowy mountains. You know, I love snowboarding. I gotta be at a place where and I literally when I finished graduate school, I, I did my, my my map search on cities I'm gonna apply for jobs on annual snowfall and then time from the city to the resort. My criteria was I could be able to wake up in the morning, check the snow report, and then be on the mountain within an hour. If I can't do that, I'm out. And they had to get 400 inches of snow a year because I'm a powder rider. I like riding powder. I don't want to be in like, you know, I don't know, northern Vermont where they get, you know, 200 inches of snow. A There's a lot of places in Colorado that don't get a lot of snow either. Those are out. I need fun, lots of fluffy powder hitting me every winter. So picking where you live was critical to me. And the last thing, it kind of seeks to public service. but, but I wanted to kind of work at a level where I could see the impacts of what I'm doing, you know? And, and, and I, you know, I wanted to do a leadership thing. I felt, God, you know, they trained me to be a leader. I should continue to try to, you know, deliver on that skill. And so city, city management was it, you know? Uh, And it just fit nicely. And it's, it's been great. I mean, 18 years, I've had a blast. I've gotten to live where I want to live. And, you know, I have zero complaints about that
1: career decision.
0: And speaking of um, Kenny Mintz, did did you listen to his podcast?
2: Heck yeah, the whole thing. Did you? I'm going to do some of that hiking too, man. I'm going to bring my mountain bike though. Cause if I hide for like 50 miles, my knee, my, my, my right knee will be killing me. Oh, you mean he, but, uh, his
0: plan to, to march across the country when he retires, you're saying? Right? Yeah, he man, part, totally. Yeah. I'm coming
1: down
2: there. Yeah. It's
0: going to be a good time. I, I definitely, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, but
1: was there something to ask about him? Well, no, I mean,
0: actually I just got, I speaking of him and I'd like to just, you know, transition for one second around the purpose of this podcast and this whole idea about how we're raising money for our class gift. I mean, this is not the opportune time to be talking about raising money for charity and, you know, worlds in a global pandemic and, you know, financial crisis and everything else. So the, so the Academy made the decision to push off the all Academy challenge until, until August. And hopefully we're, on somewhat of a road to recovery this is typically the time where we do this all Academy challenge where we try to get, you know, as much participation among our class, um, your company, company D4, you said you're at 72%, I think, right. So that's, that's actually way way above average. We're we're at a 65% uh, giving rate. But the reason why I mentioned Kenny Mintz was because, you know, we were, I was inspired by his story talking about how he, uh, mentored this young, um, this young cadet um, in the class of 2010, his name is Jordan Morris, and uh, he, he was killed in, killed in combat. And the class of 2010 is looking to uh, have, a, have a memorial for their fallen classmates. And through our discussion with AOG and some advocacy that we did, they've added one more memorial in the class of 2010 which is going to be for Jordan Morris. They're a classmate who was a turnback, but they're going to recognize his, his sacrifice. And along with that, they're also going to acknowledge uh, the leadership of, of Kenny Mintz in that, in that memorial. And so this year, when we when we do our All-Academy Challenge, we're going to have the option to be able to, you can, you, can, you can apportion part of your donation to that specific memorial, which will be commemorating his service and comm- commemorating the sacrifice of, of Jordan Morris. Uh, so that's, that's something that maybe th- when you, when you mentioned Kenny Mentz I just, I wanted to make that, make that point. Um, and another point about our, about our class gift, our class gift is, you know, we're endowing the cyber, cyber Institute with a chair, the permanent chair, somebody that's going to be constantly there helping to sort of, you know, bridge the gap between the Institute and between in and, and, and with, um, the civilian sector and with the Army. And, and so uh, we've decided that we will be naming that gift uh, in memory of our fallen classmate, uh, Bill Hecker. So that will, that has now been renamed uh, the class of 1991 class gift, um, the Bill Hecker uh, uh, um, endowment of chair for the Cyber Institute. So that's kind of a new announcement it's coming right before you know Memorial Day weekend that we recognize the sacrifice of of our classmate and also other members of the Long Gray Line. So, uh, so anyway, that's that's um, that's something I wanted to be able to announce on, on this particular podcast. So, um, thank you for bringing up Kenny Mintz. That was just uh, coincidental that you talked about that. So, um, so thank <laughs> you. Yeah, he's a hoot, man. We yeah. had a lot of fun together. Yeah, absolutely. Did you ever, so a question, so you got out about 98 or so, 99, is that when you got out? 99. 99. 99, exactly eight years. And so then you were in grad school, maybe finishing up grad school right when there was 9-11, 9 happened?
2: Uh, you know, so I took a year off and traveled the world. It turned out that um, my uh, University of Kansas, first-world grad school, they, they were allowed deferred admissions. And I like, oh my God, this sounds amazing! So, I took a year off and like literally zigzagged the globe and went to all the cool places that I would love to travel to, and then started in spring of 2000. So I graduated in uh, you know May 2002. So where
0: where did you go in that that year the year of travel and?
1: Uh, I was incredible! Yeah, you know, so I
2: started. I started in Germany uh, briefly. I just you know. So I started in Germany, then I flew down to uh, Turkey. I, I wanted to kind of start off with a little chill, so I, I spent a week at Club Med, at Club Med Khmer, which I don't know if you've ever been to a Club Med, but those, those things are so much fun, dude. So I uh, did that, and then from there I uh, went to Israel. I went, you know, to Jerusalem, and then, you know, Dead Sea and all that stuff. Then went overland to Jordan with the Petra, you know, the, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark scene, you know, that, that last thing where they, the, the, they do the, uh, uh, when he was looking for the Holy Grail or whatever. Uh, and then I flew from Jordan down to Nairobi and climbed Kilimanjaro, which wasn't as hard as it sounds. It's, it's almost 20,000 feet, but it's just kind of a long slug. And then did um, a, a safari, which was amazing. If, oh, if, if so you guys haven't done me, a safari, let me ask you a question. though. Hold on,
0: this sounds great. I'm going to keep going through the chronology. But did you have this all planned out, like ahead of time? Like I'm going to go from from here to here to here, or is it sort of like I'm going to get here, stay for five days, ten days, whatever, and then I'm going to go to the next step, or was it all planned out? Like how did you? How did you?
2: No, I I booked all my flights before I left. That's all I had planned, and a few things like. I had that climb tour, you know. You have to. They only allowed guided routes up up Kilimanjaro, right? So, but I didn't have my safari booked. I booked my safari when I was down in Arusha, Um, and then and then most of it I just figured out. Oh, I, I. So after uh, Nairobi, or after the safari, I flew up to Moscow, Uh, spent a few days, you know, in 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 the capital. And I took that Trans-Siberian train from Moscow to uh, Mongolia. Well, hold on a uh, second
0: on the, Ma- on the Moscow thing. You recently left the U.S. Army. I, I don't, you're still in the reserves, then? I'm mean, like, like, going to Moscow. No, you, I'm
1: cleanly out. I am out, out, done. out.
0: You're done. But was there any I'm concern you, like, hey, like going to Moscow in the in the late '90s? Like, you know, this was like uh, it was a little little hairy back then, right?
2: It was it was incredible, man. I mean, everything you think about Moscow or Russia is like all those stereotypes were true, man. I mean, like everywhere you looked, it looked like a mafia. Um, uh, there were mafia everywhere. The, um, uh, the I have some wild stories that are a little R-rated that I won't share on this thing. I, I, we can talk well, later. Just you just
0: know. like well, hit uh, hit the beat button. Give me or gi- just give me the high level, like you know, give me. Give me the the, the (laughs) PG-13 version.
1: So
2: I stayed at this big hotel, right, in downtown Moscow, like right near Red Square. And, uh, I mean, I'm getting called by night for special services. I don't know how they knew, you know, I was this single dude, but they had me dialed. And then they, they got the mafia to, like, find, you know, a service to try to, you know, get me to enter get entertain or, you know, be paid for some entertainment. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was creepy as hell, you know? <laughs> so, and you know, no one speaks a word of, uh, of English. That was a hell of a town to, to navigate. And I speak some French and Spanish. Uh, but it didn't matter, you know, that no language other than Russian. Uh, so it was tough navigating that area. Um, but yeah, so you know, go out to Mongolia. Then in Mongolia, I did some travel. I went to this beautiful national park in northern Mongolia. And then from there, I flew down to Thailand and spent like two weeks on this little island in, uh, called Koh Tao in the Gulf of Thailand, just scuba diving and being beach, the beach bum. And then from there, went to uh, Nepal, went to Kathmandu. And I trekked in the Himalayas for three weeks. Uh, got to see Mount Everest. Uh, that was epic. I'm mean, as a mountain guy. I'm like, oh my god! I was just freaking out. It was so cool. And then from there, flew to New Zealand, and you know, did bungee jumping and cave diving and just all this weird shit they do in New Zealand. You so, know,
0: you know what? I got I gotta say, like Lifetime TV or like they miss an opportunity to just like put a GoPro on you or just follow you around on this trip. I mean, this this sounds like is <laughs> is. By the way, do you know how much money you spent doing this? Like, like what was the what was the the price tag for all this?
2: I can't remember. I set aside about twenty grand. You know, I mean, fortunately, I, again, I've always been a frugal guy. You know, but I I saved for my travel. You know, and um, yeah, you know, I mean, I stayed in some hostels, but every now and then I would stay in a nice five star hotel, and you know, and live large. Um, I didn't camp much. I mostly stayed like. You know, water and sewer. You know. Um, so, who are some of the people you, you meet? Know, al-
0: you got to meet some people along the way that are really like impactful characters, right? So, like, who are some people that you meet along the
2: way here? Like, like you? you yeah, you know, you know uh, it, it's it's a strange group. A lot of hippies out there, especially in Thailand. Um, just random people, just doing all kinds of sorts of adventures. Most people were like, "I'm in Nepal for a week." You know, to go check out Everest and then I'm out of here. You know, Uh, very few people were doing what I was doing, just kind of taking a year off and just zigzagging the globe. Um, So you know, uh, it was, you know, I mean, I I don't know. There, no one, no specifically uh, a person comes to mind. Did you meet any any Americans?
0: Any Americans along the way? Like, like any other like.
2: You meet oh, somebody. Yeah. From, you you oh, meet
0: somebody. Yeah. Like if you're in Mongolia, you meet another American, you probably like have something
2: to talk about, right? Usually, or yeah, but I did meet not many Americans in Mongolia. I man, I was all alone, man, with the Mongols, <laughs> which was funny too. I mean, they're super friendly out there, man. They never see tourists, you know. So if you're walking by their yurt, they're, you're going to get invited in. They're going to make you some, you know, yak yogurt, and uh, you know. Them, like, some of this jerky yak, you know, and you're going to hang out and chat with them, you know, that's how they roll. But you, um, they don't speak any
0: English though, so what do you, like, how you how you navigating the communication?
2: No, we're, I mean, we're literally drawing stuff, you know, I'm like drawing a map of America and saying where I'm from, you know, and it was bizarre, but somehow we just communicated, man, I don't
0: get it. That's awesome, that's awesome. So, I, yeah, sorry to interrupt, so now you're in New Zealand, so you just went from... What? I think Thailand so, to New Zealand, yeah. so, so New Zealand, now where?
2: Yeah, Nepal, New Zealand, and then, uh, yeah, and then from New Zealand to Hawaii, uh, I got to hang out with the brigade surgeon. When I was in Germany, uh, Umesh Barate was our brigade surgeon for 2nd Brigade, and he was a great snowboarding buddy, and he had, he was doing his residency in at uh, Tripler, you know, Army Medical Center in Honolulu. So I went and hung out with him for a week. We went to Maui uh, for about five days. That's when I learned how to water start, uh, which is a very hard windsurfing uh, skill. It took me like three days, you know, just getting beat the crap, you know, on awesome Maui wind. But uh, I finally got it. It was just like, you cannot imagine the the exhilaration once you finally nail a water start windsurfing. And then uh, yeah, I picked up, and then I uh, went back to Texas. I actually stopped in California, and I saw Eugene Wilson. That's another class. That's a D four classmate. By the way, Spent he's he's on the po-
0: he's on the podcast. He just he just said all. Oh, your, good. He said all your flights cost four thousand bucks. Is what he said. Is that is that true? All what? the all the fl- He said You remember that the flights cost four thousand.
2: Oh, that sounds about right for the flights themselves. About four grand. Mm-hmm. Good memory, James. Damn. Um, and then let's see. And then I went to Texas, you know, and saw my folks. And then, so I traveled like seven months and then I went to Mexico and studied Spanish in, uh, San Miguel de Allende for five months. Um, you know, I, I left literally, uh, a millennium evening, you know, the next day, next I would fit the millennium in, in Austin. And there was another girl going to the same school we traveled to San Miguel together and uh and I went and studied Spanish for five months and then came back to Kansas and started graduate school.
0: so the whole trip was seven months or was a year you said
2: seven months and then five months with the with the Spanish Does what, that so makes sense five
0: months in Mexico with the Spanish,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: How did you find that Spanish class? Because like, that wasn't part of your graduate school. You just said, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to...
2: No, no. Yeah, no. It was great. I mean, the instructors were amazing. Really incredible Spanish. It was a lot of fun. I've always enjoyed studying languages. Um, you know, it was great. I mean, you're just a student. You go and, you know, you take classes and then you hang out with your classmates. And we were partying a lot. It was fun. It was a blast. Went to Mexico City, went to Oaxaca. Uh, I hadn't learned how to surf yet. So um, we. No, I went to the coast, but I wasn't surfing. I was just playing in the water. Um, but, yeah, it was a blast.
0: This is so fascinating. If you could go, like, just think about this question. If you could go back and live, like, like a one week section of that trip, like re, like go back and relive it, or like what what was your what was the highlight? What was the best the best part of the seven months? The
2: the the, the two best parts, and I really do were 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 the safari, and uh the, in 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 uh in Arusha and um uh and and the trekking in Nepal. I mean that safari, you know I've always been a nature lover. And you go out, you know, in the, in the, in the darn, uh, the Serengeti and you see animals in their natural habitat, you know, big old giraffes running across the plain. We got, we got like 20 feet from a big old lioness and her cubs. And I'd never heard a lion, you know, roar like in real life, you know, and her little cubs were like, they were like biting on her ear and she got pissed off and she roared at her and whacked up one of them away and made this incredible roar. It was the coolest thing I have ever heard in my life, you know? Uh, so seeing those animals like in their real, you know, habitat, just doing their thing was just extraordinary. And yeah, the mountains in Nepal are just, you know, they're, they're just, we, we walked across a glacier. It was like like two miles wide, and when you just think about that, this river of ice, it took us like all day to get across, I mean, the scale, it just blows your mind, you know, it's like where the hell am I that mountains deliver all this ice and snow and create this incredible river, you know, this glacial river, it's just, that kind of stuff I just love, man, I love big geography, you know.
0: So, w- was did you actually climb Everest, or you just were around Everest?
2: No, no, man, that's a whole. That's like a thirty thousand. No, it's a sixty thousand dollar project. Uh, I went to the base camp, and then I went to Kala It's a mountain that's right near the base camp, where you get you you go up to the top of Kala and you have a great view of Everest from there. If I, that makes sense,
0: I can see why you're so passionate about about the environment and environmental justice, because uh, you've obviously seen a lot more of the world than, than most people get to see. How about Antarctica? Have, have you ever been to
2: Antarctica? I have not. No, not yet. Is that on your bucket I'd love list? To those, yeah. I'd love to take out those damn penguins. I'd like to go to Chile too. You know, I've only been to South America once. I went to Venezuela uh, and went to the, the highest waterfalls in the world in that jungle down there, but uh, I haven't done much in South America. There's a lot
0: of stuff to check out. One of my regrets is I had the opportunity to go to Antarctica with the army, in the army. And, and I and No I, way. If I had if I had really advocated for it, I would have I would have gotten the go. And I was just like the idea and and I'm so I mean you'll 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 just roll your eyes at this, but the idea of giving up my summer was just too much to take at that time. It was summer of, like, 93, 94. I was a lieutenant, and, like, it just didn't seem like it was, like, worth it to me. But I regret that I didn't go, in, uh, in hindsight. It was, you know, to go down there and be, like, in the uh, weather station down there for six months. They call it deep Oh, place. my God. Yeah. And so what there's was, a, the di- what was the assignment? There's a slot for an engineer officer or a transportation... or a whatever, lo- logistics officer. And so it was, you know, my battalion's rotation... And they were like trying to get somebody to go, like either captain yeah, yeah. or a senior lieutenant. And if I had basically, yeah. if I had, if I had said, you know, if I had raised my hands that I will go, I probably could have gotten to go, but I, I didn't, I didn't do it. But at the now, time, wow. I mean, the idea of six months, like giving up your summer, six months, you know, your single, single lieutenant, like just didn't seem like it was like, like are you crazy? I mean, I, I spent, I just spent like all my time trying, like. <laughs> Free myself. I was coming out of Korea. You were in Korea with me too, so it felt like I was just like yeah, exactly. I just couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough uh, free time for myself, you know. So, um, yeah, I kind I kind of regret that. Kind of regret that now. Oh so, well. Um. So. 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 You were mentioning before, you've listened to some other podcasts, but you had never heard the podcast before until I asked you to go on to this podcast, right? You you hadn't you hadn't heard of it, or you hadn't, like, listened to any yeah, of it? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's funny, uh, Jamie. So, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, we when we talked in the pre-calls, I got, I got to admit, I'm not that much of a gray hog, you know, and I said, and I started thinking, I was like, where am I on the spectrum if zero is, like, completely detached from West Point and 10 is, like, you wake up every morning with the cadet prayer, you know, and like, yeah, the Arthur MacArthur poster on your wall, like I know some classmates who do. Uh, uh, I'm like a four, right? I think I'm about a four. And uh, I got uh, to tell you, I listen to like Kenny's podcast, and I hope now I'm like a 4.5 because i have up my Greyhog status by, by listening to all these podcasts. It's been a blast.
0: Yeah, you know, I think what happens as maybe we all get older, you become more of a gray hog. You begin to realize like there was actually like a pretty big impact on your life. It's a very formative experience, and also I think given just the sort of like the 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 trajectory of our lives, you know, like you you know your twenties, you're going so hard. Your thirties, you're going hard. Forties, you're beginning to sort of like begin to maybe look back a little bit. Now that we're in our fifties, we're like and coming up on thirty year reunion and say, wow, you know, like gives me an opportunity to kind of like really put the pieces in perspective and, and you you start thinking yourself like, you know, this, this experience was influenced by my ability to kind of figure out how to get things done and how to put, please, how to problem solve and put pieces in place and create a critical path. And in this area, I had to have the grit and determination that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And in this one, I had the humility and and the kind of leadership perspective to, to know not to do XYZ and to do something else. And so I think that's, that's kind of the benefit. I, I don't think the old grad podcast would have worked 10 years out of West Point, you know, I mean, aside from the fact that the yeah. technology wasn't there, but it wasn't like, it, it didn't have the kind of gravitas that it does. Now I get a lot of classmates sending me emails and letters and thanking me for this. And like really thinking that, that this was something that helped them to kind of put, put this back in perspective for them.
1: No, I, I, I,
2: I, uh, I definitely think what you're doing is creating that, that, that connect, that connectivity that, you know, you've talked about a lot of the the podcast to make you reflect and appreciate, you know, what we did and, 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 you know, how it's impacted us. So again, hats off to you. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm really pleased. It's been a blast uh, doing all this. So.
0: So we're going to follow the general arc of the podcast. We're talking about the here and now. We're going to go back to pre-West Point, talk about West Point, talk about the Army, and get back up to current day. But before we before we move off these topics, I got two questions to ask you about about current day and about and about your um your 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 um your your journeys. At any point in the journey, that yeah. seven months, did you ever feel like you're in an unsafe situation? Did you, like you mentioned Moscow? Like, did did you ever like get like a little bit paranoid, like what the hell am I doing here? Like I, this, this really could not end well for me. Maybe. <laughs>
2: uh, no, not really. I mean, again, M- Moscow was a bit bizarre, uh, but I didn't really feel unsafe. I've always been kind of a, I don't know, I, I, I uh, I'm a bit of a risk taker, and um, those things, they just, they, they, they. They, they communicate adventure to me, you know, so I'm like, my adventure hat is on when I'm in a foreign land checking things out. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not thinking about risk or or, or fear as much. Um, I will say, you know, the low point of the trip <laughs> was that train, man. I mean, that thing was the most disgusting thing you ever have been on in your life. In Moscow. The, the Moscow Moscow. train in Moscow Moscow, the trans Iberian. Yeah. How long is uh, the train?
0: How long is the train? How long is the ride itself? It was,
2: well, if you go all the way to the Pacific Ocean, of you know, Vladivostok, it's like seven days, but I got out from Mongolia. So I went five days and, um, the, when, you know, I, I forced myself to have one meal a day, like in the restaurant car, the flies that were like over everything that, you know, when they would bring in that food, there would be like flies just swarming around it, you know. It was just disgusting, man. But, you know, I don't know, everyone was eating it, so I'm eating it too, and, you know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I I got sick. Did I get sick? Yeah, I got sick. I got some kind of Montezuma's revenge or some kind of, you know, intestinal disease uh, when I came off that train. It didn't last long, thank God, but, uh, uh, you know, that
0: was definitely
2: a low point. Okay. Another question
0: about your current, your most recent current career is these city governments. They're just, I mean, there's just chock full of politics and characters and bizarre situations and like crazy things like that. And we didn't talk about this on the podcast, but I'm just curious, like in your career, what's the most bizarre or, uh, I guess, um, you know crazy story the the, the 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 that that you experience in local politics you know like we we're where so and so's like taking a bribe for this thing or this one's sleeping with that one's husband or wife or what like any like what yet yeah, when something comes to mind about local crazy politics do you have any like things that just come to your mind as like the you know the the story that you just like your go-to story about how crazy like local politics
2: can be Well, uh, God, um, I wish I had something that's more colorful. Um, you know, let me think, I don't, this isn't that great of a story, but it was definitely, uh, it was an indication of the community that I arrived in. So when I took my first city manager job here in, in Oregon, uh i came i started in uh in may of 2007 and in november of 2006 they had had a recall election for the council members and the mayor recalled by the the town public you know it was over uh the construction of a fire station it's a long story i won't bore you but you know i came in I, you know uh it's a great example of you know the power of the west point diploma uh, I feel like none of, the, none of the council members knew crap about an MPA from KU, you know, but they knew about West Point Point. they knew about the army, you know, and one of the council members, the mayor was a, uh, was a Vietnam vet, you know, and it was a 7-0 decision to hire me to be the city manager. And, um, you know, uh, I carried forward. I built the fire station. I, I built some, some senior housing, which was also very controversial. That also was, why not only was there a recall, but the last city manager for me was fired. He was driven out of town, you know? And, um, and so, you know, I had a pretty gnarly four years, uh, navigating the politics and the value split, <clears throat> but, you know, I tried to do the best I could and, uh, deliver on, you know, the, you know, it's a, when I got there it was seven Oh, and then soon after it was five five council members supporting me too not so much but that's the mandate. You, you respond to the majority of council, And, um, so I left in February of 11 and, uh, you know, eight months later, there was another recall election, uh, for, for them driving me out of town <laughs> and, uh, and a bunch of other people, you know? So it was, it was dramatic, you know, I would lose sleep probably once every three months I would not sleep well the entire night, you know, it was a stressful job. Um, but you know, I, I think it—it you know, I learned a lot and, uh, it helped me get a great job working for Gresham. So I, I didn't mind it. You know, I, I'm not one who avoids stress. I feel like stress, uh, it, it does build character, but also, you know, helps us learn about ourselves. So I'm all for it, you know? Awesome.
0: So let's go back. Uh, so you were originally you're from you're from Texas, right? That that's where your home is. Yeah. So Longview, Texas. Longview, Texas. So so tell me about growing up, Longview, Texas. Your your family life. What made you What made you consider West Point? Did you go there? Was it Was it your first choice? What What were the other options? And how'd you end up with us, uh, July first, uh, nineteen nineteen eighty seven?
2: Yeah, on the bus. Yeah, I stay at Thayer Hall the night before our day, too. You With did? a bunch of other new people, you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, you know, uh, I've always been a nature boy. Um, I grew up kind of, it's a, East Texas, or Longview's like a town of 50,000, but we had a lot of forests near us, and I was one of those latchkey kids, man. Mom would open the door, and then, boom, we were, we were gone all day long playing in streams, you know, riding her bicycles in the forest, fishing, catching turtles, just being silly, you know? And, um, you know, I finally got, I was not a high performing student, you know, uh, all the way until ninth grade. It wasn't until 10th grade. I started getting good grades. Um, and it's also when I kind of connected with climate change, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for later. And, um, so I'm, uh, uh, my brother, my brother is four years older than me. And lo and behold, when I was in middle school, he applied to West Point and got in. And so he was class of 87. And so, you know, I had a kind of a play by play, like when he was a plea, you know, I was a freshman and I went with my parents to plea parent weekend in 1983 and you can imagine, you know, a little ninth grade, you know, ninth grader showing up at West Point, this incredible like fortress of big buildings and all these cadets and disciplines. It was very impactful, you know, and I was kind of blown away. Right. And uh, as much as I was blown away, I wasn't sold on the idea that I need to be a cadet and go serve the country in the army. Um, you know, when I was, I, I applied and, but I got to tell you, I was kind of hoping I didn't get accepted. Um, I, what I really wanted to do, uh, I became, again, enamored with nature, but then I became enamored with rainforest. What I wanted to do is go to Columbia and be an exchange student and explore rainforest as down in Columbia, you know, for a year, and then go to college. Um, now I will say I didn't want to pay for college, and so my, 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 Plan B or C was, if I didn't get into West Point and I, and I, and I did that thing, then I was going to go to the Army for four years, do the GI Bill, and then go to college, you know. I love that GI Bill. I tell people all the time, parents, you know, if you're, if you're worried about college, you really should consider sending them to the military and get some money for college. It's a great experience. And, you know, you get to serve your country and kind of get your head straight before you jump into a, a real career. Uh, but lo and behold, I got accepted. Uh, and you know, Gunner was putting a lot of pressure on my brother that I should go to West Point. So, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, if I, if I go to the exchange, I got to apply again to, you know, get the free ride. Screw that. I'm going to West Point. But I was very much like, I'm going to try one year, you know, see if I can survive one year. It wasn't like I'm committed for 20. Right. And, uh, you know, survived that year, you know, as hell. Um, but um, uh, but then it was like, okay, I'll do yearling year, you know, because I was kind of taking it one piece at a time. And I was I was excited about being a you year. Know, I was excited about going to Buckner and blowing stuff up, you know, and all that stuff and camping or whatever, you know. Um, and then at the end, I'm like, you know, it, I should do this, you know. Like, this will set me up. For a good in life, and I think the leadership challenge—I I like that idea, so I'm in.
0: You—you um, you also said that going to Northern Warfare School and uh, or Mountain Warfare School and, and, and were two really pivotal experiences for you, right? That really made you, that, yeah. jazzed yeah. up
2: about about the army, right? Oh my God! I mean, both those schools—I had so much fun. I, I if if Ed's not on the line, I hope he he, reads, he, he, he listens to this because, uh, I mean, Ed Zena and I in Northern Warfare, I mean, he was a hoot, man. And uh, going to Alaska in July was just one of the coolest things ever. You know, I'd never seen this, you know, 24-hour non, non, non-darkness, non you know. And, um, you know, it's Alaska is an amazing state. Um, and just being out indoors and doing those kind of adventure, you know, training events, uh, very much spoke to my soul, you know, uh, the other thing that was just blew my mind where I got, when I got to the West Point was the Mac flying. and uh, a lot of my classmates and I, we did, we maxed the shit out of uh, all over the world, man. I maxed to Antigua two times. I'm back to Hawaii. I'm back to Alaska. I'm back to Europe. Um, we did it all. We were cadets, man. And then I, and when I was in the Army, I did some more Macin, you know. So, I mean, the idea you could fly anywhere and not pay for a ticket was just blowing my mind, you know. So all that kind of like, oh, my God, get free flights around the world. i got to do this Army thing, you
0: know. I wonder if they still have the Mac flights. I, I guess they must, right? I mean, I haven't heard about that recently. I don't know. I man. Yeah. I'm, yeah. At, I'm back to Europe one time. It was, I. you know what, you know, what's really just brutal about the whole Mac thing is that <laughs> as an active duty person, you have, you have first choice. You, you, you are top of the, you are top of the, Bye. you know, and so there are all these like retirees like waiting for a Mac flight. <laughs> right here i am some dumbass I know, lieutenant. Man. i give him my id and I'm like, i go right to the front of the line in front of all these old sort of retirees <laughs> i felt so terrible it's like like they let these guys let them go first but no they're like no you're active duty yeah. you just go
2: so yeah that was pretty brutal but uh that
0: was pretty sweet too man yeah it was it was it was a pretty pretty awesome pretty awesome feature that you get to you know mac all over the place i i got to assume that i got to assume that they are I mean, there's they gotta let that happen. I mean, the flights are going all over the place. Why not?
1: Oh, oh it's a great penny, man. It really I mean, is. I haven't
0: heard about people macking recently. Maybe it's I don't know. Maybe it's probably still going on. But, um, so in the pre-call notes, you know, around this time, deciding to go to West Point, you talk about your, you know, your 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 family going to West Point, your parents. Um, you said that one of the bravest things you've ever done in your life was hanging up your wrestling shoes Oh yeah, talking to your, talking to your dad saying I'm done with wrestling. Right. So, so now right. that, that did follow through cause you have to wrestle at West point. You consider wrestling for West point, but so tell me about that pre West point experience. You were like a stud wrestler, right? You, you wrestled all, from, from yeah. five years old on, right?
2: Yeah. Rest started when I was in kindergarten, only wrestled partial season cause I broke my arm on the, uh, the monkey bars, you know, um, but then got back up and, uh, wrestled, you know, first grade all the way through 11th grade. And, you know, I mean, when you start young, that really helps you having a competitive advantage against other of wrestlers who haven't started young because you get your ass kicked very young and you learn those skills. Right. And, and I became, you know, a really strong wrestler. Um, and you know, I never really liked wrestling. My dad loved it because, you know, growing up in Texas, you know, it seems like the sports favor big people, right? Football, basketball, you know. And here I am, I'm five six, you know, hundred and thirty pounds when I left high school, you know. I, I just couldn't participate in those reindeer games, right? And, you know, wrestling is the equal opportunity sport. You know, you wrestle your own size. And so, um, so. and, you know, my dad, he, he, he's a tough coach. He coached me my entire 11 years. Was he a wrestler? And, your, you know, dad, your dad was a wrestler? He wasn't a wrestler. He wasn't a wrestler. How, he's your, a german England Did your brother uh, wrestle as from, well? Uh, he did, yeah. Oh, yeah. But started, I mean, we, we entered the program at the same time. So he was older when he started, obviously, than I did. So he didn't get that young young uh, wrestler experience. Anyway, so dad loved it. And, you know, uh, I never really enjoyed the, 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 the duress that was created by wrestling, but I did become good uh, just through the time and kind of, you know, the crucible of that experience. And, and you know, and he pushed us, you know. My dad was one of those guys who made videos of all our matches. Those eight millimeter things, man. And we would go back and watch them and see what we did wrong, you know, and that's how you get better, man. I mean, it's brutal, but it it works, you know? And so, uh, so, but it also, you know, I don't regret any of that as much as that was painful for me. It, it instilled my ethic for physical fitness. It helped my self esteem, you know? And, um, uh, and I, I think it, again, I think it gave me tremendous grit to survive the army and ranger school and West point, everything that life has thrown at me. I really feel like it, it started my, 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 my strength started in that experience. But, you know, as I kind of grew into myself, uh, as a high school student, I, I came to the conclusion, like, I don't, I don't want to wrestle anymore. You know, I want to do nature stuff. I want to focus on academics, you know, Um, and I just want to spend my time differently. And so uh, it was, it was time to sign up for the next year. And I I went to my dad and said, dad, I'm not wrestling next year, you know? And, um, you know, he got zero sleep that night. (laughs) And I remember the next morning, I'm eating cereal, you know, and, uh, uh, about to go to school. And he came in there and just, you know, ripped my head off going, but not, you know, he has a German accent, but not, you're not going to sit on your butt and watch TV all day. You know, <laughs> you're going to do something, some physical exercise, you know, I'm not going to let you turn into a cat potato. It's like, dad, why would I ever become a cash potato? Do you not know who I am? You know, uh, so I played soccer, you know, which I always love. And, um, It was, you know, it was a great moment for me. I kind of stood up for myself. That's why I feel like that was a high stress, but kind of a a pivotal moment for me.
0: So this fascinates me. Both of my sons wrestled, uh, and I was the wrestling coach or the head of the whole wrestling program. I did not wrestle. uh, I played basketball, but I I knew how to wrestle because I trained with the wrestlers or whatever. And it's, it, was, it was fascinating to me to hear that story. My son decided to not wrestle as well, eventually. My younger son's now a basketball player. But I always say wrestling, it brings out the best in kids and the worst in parents. The, the worst <laughs> the worst sport fanatic parents are parents of wrestlers, I find, is what I, I mean. Like, bar none. I, I've, seen, I've seen some crazy stuff. Women's, you know, girls' basketball, girls' field hockey, it, like, They're all nuts too, but wrestling, wrestling parents are a special
2: kind of crazy. i got to tell you, the parents that were in our program, they were really good people. I mean, uh, my dad, he was very committed to this sport. Uh, he trained everybody. We had some African American kids, you know, uh, you know, Texas is pretty black. So it wasn't surprising, but you know, everyone was embraced. He and he subsidized, you know, we, our tournaments were in Dallas. So we had to drive to Dallas, stay in a hotel, wake up Saturday morning, super early, weigh in and go wrestle all day. And a lot of these kids couldn't afford. Dad would just like, he would pay for stuff, you know. He'd pay for the meals and because he loved the sport, you know. He loved what it did for character. And, you know, to his credit, he was right. I mean, I really believe the kids that did that wrestling program I bet you all of them are 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 are, are well balanced adults. You know? Is
0: is he still around? Your dad? He's still still alive with us?
2: Yeah, 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 sure is. So Both my parents.
0: Where where in Germany did he emigrate
2: from? So you know he uh, he grew up in Innsbruck, Prussia, uh, which is now you know Russia, uh, but you know that was kind of that German Prussian Empire, or whatever you know, before World War II, and. um they fled the Russians uh in nineteen, you know, forty three, uh, all the way to West Germany because the Russians were killing any village. If you were in a village, you know, you were gonna get either killed or you need to become a refugee. So they left town and uh and ended up in, in Bad Hartsburg, Germany in nineteen forty five. Um and then he came to America like in the early sixties.
0: So he was what, like a young, young twenty-year-old or something? And when he came to the U.S.,
2: yeah, he, he like mid twenties. He did a Ph.D. in chemical chemistry, and and uh, it got, it's kind of a wild story. He came over here on an Air Force scholarship. The Air Force had a program where they would fund Ph.D.s and kind of postdoctorate fellowship programs to do chemistry research on behalf of the Air Force. So he landed in Texas Tech in that program. And uh, that's where he met my wife, who's from France. I met my, my mom, uh, who's from France. She came on a Fulbright scholarship studying French. And they met at a uh, Lutheran ice cream party for a foreign student. Wow, that's fascinating.
0: So you had two immigrant parents and both from, you know, different parts of Europe, both, you know, it sounds like relatively very humble um very humble, uh, immigration stories, basically. I mean, nobody was here. because Yeah. And so th- th- that must have manifested itself in terms of, you You mentioned that you're very frugal, you you know, you, you're very much about, you know, living every day. I'm sure that they, uh, instilled in that, instilled that in you, I sounds like.
2: Yeah, I would definitely, I mean, my mom is the love of life kind of person, you know, that French spirit is very much inside of me. Uh, she wakes up every day at this how I'm going, to, how I'm going to spend my day playing, you know, and my dad is kind of a German, you know. How I'm going to keep the yard clean and you know the bills safe and keep world the world organized, you know. So it's a good combination. Uh, I a, feel blessed.
0: And I think I got about, both of them. As I, I think
2: about you, you you are kind of
0: like embodying both, right? You've got the the very disciplined, you know, uh, uh, sort of physical fitness and the, and the regimentation, but you're going to have a good time you're going to go around the world you do all these these amazing these amazing uh uh voyages and and so i think you're you're the perfect embodiment of them both yeah no that's very true yeah so let's fast forward so now you 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 were going through talking about plebe year yearling year and you know that northern warfare was one of the things that really made the army seem like it was appealing to you tell me some of your your, your more memorable experiences, uh, as a cadet at West point.
2: Yeah. So this is my favorite story. Uh, most of my Duke friends have heard it. Uh, but for the non Duke ones, uh, hopefully they'll get a kick out of it. So it's, um, it's, it's week one of, uh, B, you know, we've been there a week and everyone remembers that was just one hot, humid, miserable summer, right? I remember pinging around in my robe and just – you go from the bathroom to your room and it would just be dripping with sweat, you know. And, um, you know, our platoon leader, Jeff Toomer, one of the strackest cadets I have ever known in my entire correct cadet career, uh, the other guys in my squad, I think, acknowledge that. Uh, he calls us into, the, like, the little squad room. He says, okay, it's time to do laundry, Right. So go get your laundry bag and we're going to explain to you how this laundry stuff works. So uh, he says, you know, fill out your, your laundry tag name, you know, social security number. Remember how we put our social security number on everything? Everything. everything.
0: My social security number is on my trunk. You know I mean?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah, those days are over. Uh, And uh, he says, okay, so it's pretty simple, you know look at the first thing on the list, you know, what's on their black socks. You know, he goes, Barry, you know, how many black socks you got? And she goes through her little, you know, you know, laundry bag and, you know, five, sir, you know, all right, put five down there, right? And then he goes, okay, what's next on the list? White t-shirts, you know, Wilson, how many white t-shirts you got? He goes through this thing, "Uh, uh, uh," you know, I got four, sir. All right, put down four. What's next on the list, you know, underwear, how many underwear you got? (laughs) I'm going through my bag, man. (laughs) And I know the answer. I'm just like praying. There's a difference. Somehow some underwear are going to form, you know, show up, you know, And I get to the bottom, you know, and there's this long pause, you know, and Jamie, no one, I mean, in that seven days, no one had cracked a smile. No one had laughed out loud, you know, it's just been suffering, right? And our in our squad leader, you can bet your ass, he never cracked a smirk, right? And, and I and I, I finally have this long awkward pause to go, Zero, sir <laughs> And I mean the entire freaking room just started cracking up loud, including the squad leader. He like Singer <laughs> you know he was, he was laughing out loud, like Singer, what the hell happened? <laughs> and I explained to him, I was like, Sir you know, they made us put that shock strap on when you did that little fitness test. You know, like day on our day, it's like I just kept that damn thing on there the
1: whole week. You know, <laughs> going commando, basically. And uh, oh my god, it was a good moment, man! Holy shit,
2: <laughs> <clears throat> that's my favorite West Point story. I've told that thing at parties. I always get a laugh, man. Uh, so you were, so you were in the
0: lost fifties, right? So you were, you were kind of off the grid basically you could you guys were kind of like your own little your own little universe over there right
2: yeah you say that uh well the last like year or two we were in the 50s like when we were pleads you were in the 40s like 45 46 and then we went way back there our last year or two is
0: that where the haunted Um, one is a haunted there's a story about a haunted a haunted uh room right
2: yeah, I think so, but I don't know. I, I, I'm never into ghosts, no, but that very well could be true. That They should be haunted. I mean, those are some crappy barracks. I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty, you know, we did Beast, and I, I want to say I was in Bradley and Beast, and, um, you know, all the bathrooms had doors on them, you know, like the stalls. In the divisions, you had bathrooms that did not have doors on them. And you would walk in there like they're thing you know, sitting on the can, you know. I mean, that was just screwed <laughs> up, man. <laughs> of course, you have to greet them, you know. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, th- those were some ragged, raggedy barracks, you know. Uh, and the pinging up and down was challenging, you know. So, I don't know. But it was a little detached. I- I'll give you that. You just made me think of a crazy
0: story. And I saw Chris Smith just... Just jumped on the line and said, that was funny, your story. And he's going to remember the story, too. You talk about these, these bathrooms, the doors open. He and I work for this guy, this guy, Lieutenant Colonel Eldridge, who's like an old-school guy. And we're on this AT with this guy. And he insisted on going to the bathroom. These were stalls with the stall door open so he could, like, talk to us while we were, like, in the – like, he's just old-school. <laughs> like, that dude is just – he is crazy. He's like off his rocker. So the old school guy, I think that maybe they didn't have doors on the, maybe, maybe, you know, back in the old, in the old court, they didn't have doors on the bathrooms. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I don't Eldridge. like that thing, man. Yeah, that's, so that's a little
0: nutty. But, <laughs> so you guys were close to the gym. Like, like when I think about doing spirit missions and doing like crazy things, we did them in the academic buildings or we did them like on the plane or something, but you guys always got to go to the gym. Like that was your places. to. that was like your kind of playground. Right. And there's a story that you have about the 10 meter board. I'm going to try to share my screen. Cause you got a, you got a photo. Oh, yeah. here. Tell me the story about, <laughs> tell me the story about the 10 meter board and your shelter halves or whatever you were doing with, uh, in the, in the gym there.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, again, me the sense of adventure. I've always what like to want to jump off high shit and somehow float down, right? So when I find out that we got this ten meter board, I'm thinking, God, I wonder if I took a poncho liner or two ponchos and we button them together, would it slow our fall? We like float to the water. I mean, how cool would that be? So. So uh, I did it with Eugene Wilson. This is so I think I'm on the right, and then Eugene's on the left. And we launched off the 10 meter man, and we did a we had someone time us with the ponchos and without. Didn't make a string of difference, you know. We flew down the bottom just as fast. Even though you felt the resistance, for some reason, didn't really slow us down that much, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's the kind of the funny stuff that. You could do at West Point trying to, you know, engage your sense of adventure. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, stupid cadet tricks. But here's the thing that I'm thinking about. Let's say this actually worked, right? Let's say that you actually got enough enough air underneath this thing that you guys uh, were able to, like, create some resistance. Wouldn't it make you guys come together, like, in (laughs) midair? Like, isn't that sort of, like, a little bit (laughs) – or, like, you can land on top of each other on the water, I think.
2: I totally did not even think about it. But that's an engineer for you, man. You're thinking like an engineer, you know. I'm an infantry guy. We don't think about shit like that, right? <laughs> Speaking
0: <of>, – <laughs> just just to fast forward here uh, just a second. Speaking of infantry guys, you also have an infantry story with ranger school and parachutes, right? So, oh, yeah. So you and I, yeah, we, yeah. we we were in the same ranger class for a period of time, right? So, I, I like, yeah, we, we overlapped I so. a little bit. Apparently,
2: I didn't know that, yeah.
0: So it was, uh, it was probably like what March or April of nineteen ninety-two, coming yeah, back, coming we, we back
2: from the, we were from the desert, and and the plan was we didn't jump in the desert, so they were gonna jump us into Benning. and uh, you know I was just that so happy to get. I don't have, Do you remember how cold that damn desert phase was? It was really cold. I mean, that was one of the most miserable two weeks of my life, man. I mean, it was just
1: torture, man.
2: Anyway, um, so we're, we're, we're in Benning. You know, we're flying to Benning, uh, I think in C-141. And <clears throat> I'm on the first stick to jump out, which I'm excited about. I love jumping out of airplanes. And, um, you know, it it there's some weird stuff going on because, like, the guy, the jump master at the front, he's doing weird things like, we kind of, I think we took a pass and said, "Ah, oh, this is it's too windy. I don't think we should do this." You know. Well, hold
0: on one second. But, I got. I got to help. I got. I got to set this up too because I'm in. The, I'm in either the same yeah. plane or somewhere play like alongside. Because it was like a four and a half hour plane ride from uh, Fort yeah, Bliss yeah. back to back to Benning, and so the whole time you're you're there, the loud C-141 and the whole thing, and there's not much turbulence. But when we start getting down close enough to like like down to Benning. It is just bumping, and it is crazy. It is rocking and rolling. It is just all kinds of turbulence in that plane, right? It's just we're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it, it feels gnarly in the airplane, and, you can, again, it's a little confused up front. You can see that there's, like, some discussion or debate about whether we should jump out of the airplane. Now, the rumor is, I don't know if it's true, maybe you heard this, but the uh, – the, the the mountain colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Commander, was on that airplane. It's like, by God, I'm jumping out of this airplane. So he kind of forced the decision to make one stick jump out of the airplane. Did you hear that?
0: No. He was
2: on the airplane with us?
0: Uh that's very possible. I, I, I don't I don't I don't oh. recall that being the case, but I know that there was like there was a stick in front of me. So we were like getting ready to go. The the you know Yeah.
2: The, the, uh, yeah. So, you know, no, lo and behold, we're out the door, you know, uh, everything parachute, you know, in place, everything's fine. And it is windy as shit, man. And I'm pendling like a son of a bitch. Everybody is, you know, and next thing I know, I look over, I see, you know, I'm pendling up and I see my, my, my chute has already hit the ground and now and I'm just slamming to the ground. And I hit hard, man. I, I, I don't even think I could do a PLF because I was, you know, horizontal to the dam, parallel to the ground. And, um, uh, and I, I cracked uh, two vertebrae in my lower back. Uh, and little I know that, you know, Schleck was behind me in other planes. Having
1: an airbag gauge. Yeah, yeah. So what, put, put what, your... hap-
0: what happened? So
2: I'm, I'm, we're like in the next
0: pass, right? And so I'm in this, I'm, we're, and we, I am barely hanging on to my breakfast, right? I mean, we're just, and we were basically, <laughs> people were sharing barf bags because they had basically, like, they were running out of barf bags, right? So it was me and Lou Mercado side by side, our classmate Lou Mercado. We had one barf bag between the two of us, and we're looking at each other, like just trying to keep, oh, just trying to keep it down, just trying to keep it down. And so, so we're like, they finally open the door. They say, "Stand up, hook up." And so, when we hooked up, I was like, "Oh, thank God, we're getting the hell out of this plane!" And I blew that barf bag up, and I popped it, it as like a sort of like sign of confidence or something, right? Then they wave us off. They said, "Sit down. We're not jumping." Like you, you had just been spun around, or like. The back yeah oh And so there's this. I have this. I have this barf bag with a hole in the bottom of it that I popped. But Lou Mercado <laughs> didn't see that happen. So Lou's like, "Just give me the barf bag." And he, he takes the barf bag. And I'm like, "I hope he doesn't." I just hope. I hope he just needs that for like sort of like a, a little bit of security. He opens that barf bag <laughs> and just pukes straight through the barf bag, uh-huh. all onto his like reserve chute, onto his legs, the whole thing. He's, he's like. <laughs> He looks at me, he's like, oh, there's a hole in the barf bag. I'm like, oh, that sucks. That's terrible, you know. We finally, <laughs> we finally land. Oh, my he, God. It was bru- they needed to hose him off, like, getting off the plane. It was just so gross.
2: But... Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bad job. I saw uh, a guy, like, being dragged along the airfield. You know, he couldn't, you know, pop his chute, and he was just getting his ass kicked. Man, he had, like, you know – Grass and scars on his face, you know, it it was a shit show.
0: Well, that happens, you know, (laughs) especially if some 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 O five wants to get out of the wants get out of the bird. That's what's just going to happen. So, and then uh, yeah, so then then you manage to get through Ranger School. you, You take command of a you have platoon leader in Korea. And then you went to the advanced course, I guess. And then you went back to you went you went to Europe. That's where you ran into Kenny Mintz and and doing the doing the work with him in, in Europe.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, I spent a year in Korea and then uh, went to uh, Fort Lewis after that. And that's kind of when I learned about the Northwest, you know, and realized how amazing it is up here with the big glaciated mountains. And I mean, when I got to Fort Lewis, I learned how to paraglide. Uh, which is different than Paracel. No, that's actually launching off a mountain and flying down the bottom. I learned how to snowboard. Um, I didn't learn how to surf. I didn't learn how to surf until 2004. But I was just loving the outdoors, you know, and waking up every morning and see big old Mount Rainier. Anybody who's been to Fort Lewis knows they have an epic view of Mount Rainier. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, I could live here someday, you know. So spent two years there and then advanced course. And then went to Germany for three years, which included two visits to Bosnia and then uh that that tasking in uh Turkey
0: so then then you did this this what we talked about at the beginning, this this amazing journey this this twelve months of um you know decompression between between the army and grad school, then you go to grad school yeah. and then I imagine yeah. so you're just finishing grad school nine eleven happens, right? And so yeah. what was that like for you that, I mean, first of all, the transition is a, uh, is, is, you know, there's transition stories and trying to like this whole imposter syndrome what's it like to be a civilian again and everything. But when 9-11 kicked off, did you find yourself kind of like feeling a little bit lost because you had trained for all these years to this and now it was happening for real and you weren't in it, you weren't in the army at the time? Like what, what did that feel like to you?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, a little, I, I remember, uh, I don't know if Mark Mathis on, on the, on the, on the, uh, uh, on the, on the, the, the call. Is he on there to see him?
0: I, Mark Mathis. He was up? definitely on there. He's on there. He's on there. He's back. Okay.
2: Yeah. I remember calling Mark and Mark's like, I want to get in this, you know, and he was like thinking about getting back in the army, you know, and I don't think I was there, you know, I was, uh. I was very focused on my local government. I was being an intern in Dodd City. I had a great boss. You know, um, I'm like I've got my public service path, and uh, I, I want to stay focused on this. Um, there was a little like you know, it's a patriotic moment for the country as we came together to you know uh, um, to, to to confront this 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 act. You know, and so that for me a little in my, you know, in my stomach, but it didn't overwhelm kind of my direction. That makes sense.
0: I guess that makes a lot of sense because you're, 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 in public service and you think to yourself, this is my role. This is like, and, and so, you know, the experience that you brought to the role was probably very valuable as, you know, post 9-11 and having somebody with some veteran experience in that role, it makes a lot of sense. I think I, I, I probably identify a little bit more with Mark Matheson. I I felt like uh, you know like why am I not why am I not in there like I, I like, and I actually went back in the army for a year. Um and so, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And that was um you know that that was that was what I just did. I mean that was my 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 opportunity to kind of reconnect. Um and so, but you know as I think about your your journey, um, is, it's, it's so fascinating. I mean, you are such an adventurer, such a, such a, you know, uh, a, such a, a, a spirit. And, and, um, I'm so grateful for, for, for all that you've done and all that you continue to do, but your biggest next chapter is a chapter that you're embarking on right now. So you've just recently left your role as a public administrator, uh, for this community and you are 100% focused on climate change and having a role in, in, in a nonpartisan way uh, to, to basically um, make an impact for climate change. So tell me about that work that you're doing right now.
2: Yeah, sure, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate the time. So, uh, you know, just to the, the, the reverse the clock a little, you know, uh, I don't know what happened, but I read a, I read a, a book in ninth grade, the summer of ninth grade, on how carbon emissions and our carbon concentration of carbon in the atmosphere was going up steadily. It's been doing that, you know, since the Industrial Revolution. And um, and then I was reading, like, you know, we 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 we're starting to think that this is going to mess up the climate, you know. And I'm like, crap, you know, this is scary stuff. This was in 1983. And I said, "Well, I think I need to change my behavior." Um, so that summer, I gave the keys of this old two twenty diesel Mercedes that my dad had handed me down. Actually, my brother had handed me down. I said, "Dad, here's the car back. I'm not going to be driving this anymore. I'm going to ride my bike uh, to high school from now on." And um, I did that for the next three years. Actually, I did. I rode my bicycle to, you know to high school and then to work, uh, for the next 30 years. And, um, and so this has been in the back of my mind for a long time. Um, and so now that I kind of have the financial independence to really take it on, uh, and not worry kind of about working for money anymore, I'm like, this is, this is perfect for me. I should, I should apply my energy here. And so, you know, I've always been a centrist. Uh, I know some of my friends would call me more of a Democrat but I really am a centrist and um, i I've, I've, I've been you know I was searching a couple years ago because I knew that I was going to leave public sector eventually you know who has a policy that's nonpartisan and then it will effectively decarbonize our economy and I, I was listening to national public Radio and I heard secretary Paulson, secretary Baker, secretary Schultz they did a little program where they said, look, we think the way to decarbonize our economy, these are all former Republican administrative officials, is to put a price on carbon and then take that money and send it out as a dividend uh, to every household in America. And I'm like, oh my God, that makes a lot of sense. That's how you you incentivize the, the market economy to drive the innovation to decarbonize our economy, but not screw up uh, the quality of life that we all experience. Um, so, and then that does it in a bipartisan way. This was led by Republican officials, you know. And so I'm like, well, who's working on that? They, their, their nonprofit is more kind of the policy wonk stuff. They're not. They don't actually have a piece of legislation. I bumped into this nonprofit called Citizens Climate Lobby, CCL. And their sole mission in life is to pass HR 763. It's the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. Uh, and they're a relationship-driven, nonpartisan, um, you know, very focused. They have one mission in life, and that's to get HR 763 passed. And they're, they're, they're international. Uh, CCL is international. Uh, we have our national uh, office. Uh, that we lobby Congress twice a year and then, you know, we lobby in districts. The other two times a year we lobby quarterly to get them to pass H.R. 763, which will put a $15 a ton price on carbon and then take all that money again, send it out as dividends. Uh, And it ratchets that up $10 a year over the next 10 years, so we ease ourselves off of our fossil fuel economy. It doesn't happen like that. Um, and, you know, I'm pleased to say that this bill has 80 co-sponsors. Uh, it unfortunately only has one Republican, uh, but we're, we're working on that. And, um, you know, it's the closest thing It, it, when it comes to climate change bill, this bill has more grassroots and, 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 you know, and, 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 uh, congressional support than any other bill running through Congress right now. So, uh, that's what I'm going to work on and, uh, you know, that's what I, I hope we can deliver to, you know, again, kind of restructure our economy, which is needed to address the climate change that it, is very much happening now.
0: So how do you see your role with this? Like, are you going to help them to run the organization? Are you going to lobby? Are you going to like, uh, like what, what's, yeah. what's your, so what's
2: right, your, gonna... right now I'm building my street cred, you know, so I'm, 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 full-time volunteer. I'm the liaison for Congressman Walden, Congressman Walden in Oregon district two, Eastern Oregon. He's a Republican. He has not co-sponsored it. Uh, But I know him well because he was the Congressman, while I was the city manager and we worked on projects together. So uh, I'm learning kind of the, uh, the, 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 the structure of CCL. I'm learning how they operate. I'm going to DC and you know, ultimately, I would like to have a leadership position in their organization to help further their their mission.
0: Who are the opponents? And then you know, who, who are the opponents? Is it that, like, who are the opponents? Is it the usual like suspects? Like it's the automotive industry. It's it's airlines.
2: It's it's petroleum. Yeah,
1: it's
2: it, it, you know, it's uh, the fossil fuel industry is the biggest opponent. Uh, oh. and it's funny. It's not. It's it's not the big one. Exxon has publicly come out in support of a price on carbon, uh, BP as as well. They see that climate change is happening, and we need to evolve our, 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 our energy system. Um, and they like that because it's a market method, you know? I mean, the other thing that's great about this bill is not only does it put a price on carbon, but it says, you know, if you're a coal producer and you're making energy using coal, you can continue to do that as long as you pay that fee, and and guess what? If you capture that carbon, we will give you that money straight back. If you if you come up with innovative technology to to not emit any carbon, you get your fifteen dollars a ton back. Now that technology doesn't cost a fifteen dollars a ton, so we got to get some great engineers to work on it. But that's what it'll incentivize, you know. So. You know, what this world looks like in twenty or fifty years, I don't know what it's gonna look like. I just want it to look like I want it to look like that we're not sending a crap load of carbon in the atmosphere every
1: year.
0: So what would our classmates be able to do to help you? Or how would we how would we connect with you? I guess you you're still just kind of getting your getting your your sea legs about you yeah, with this thing, yeah. right?
2: Look, you know, uh, we are, we are a growing organization. Uh, we welcome volunteers all across the map. Um, uh, and uh, citizens climate uh, lobby it, it, it's citizensclimate is our website. And if you want to get involved in grassroots, grass top, media relations, and you know, and 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 kind of group building, uh, you know, work, that's how you start. You go to our website, you join, then they'll figure out what chapter you should be in. Then that chapter leader is going to reach out to you and then we're going to get to work. You know, we're going to table the citizens. We're going to reach out to business leaders and get them to co-sponsor. We're going to reach out to the public officials. That's grass top. That's like business leaders, you know, elected officials, you know, you know uh, uh, informed kind of shakers and movers if you can get them to say, hey, congressman or congresswoman, you need to support this bill. That's how you move the political will to, to, to get this, uh, this bill uh, passed. Uh, you know, I love the mission of CCL. It's very simple. It is uh, pol- creating political will for a livable planet. Boom.
0: Well, one of the things that we've been um, trying to maintain with the Old Grab podcast is to stay away from politics in general, right? And and this is a nonpartisan uh, nonpartisan effort that you're that you're engaged in, um, and uh, it's uh, it's it's I want to make sure that it's um, I, I I just I, it, it is a slippery slope to always make sure that we then we talk about these types of issues to ensure that we're kind of keeping like very you know center of the road on these on these types of things. Um, how would how would one who might be, um, uh, have some, have, how would one get educated in this space? Like what, what do you find are are the most informative, uh, books or, or websites or yeah. where, ha, like if I were, if I were, uh, if just complete novice in this space and I want to learn about the, the issues uh, of the day, where's the place that I look?
2: Yeah. You know, uh, there's lots of good books on that. I, I, I think uh, Thomas Friedman uh, has written his his, la- his la- second to last when he said the, the earth is hot, flat, and crowded. You know, he spends like two chapters a month just trying to get a price on carbon and how that's an effective tool to, you know, decarbonize our economy. Um, you know, it depends on where you are on the spectrum. There's a lot of still skeptics out there regarding climate change. And, you know, for those folks, I say, look, uh, there's a wonderful PhD scientist, Catherine Hayhoe. Uh, she's in Texas Tech. She's a Texan. God bless her. She's a fundamentalist Christian, and she's an atmospheric scientist and and is on the board member. She's a board member of CCL, And she has done a collection of videos, seven-minute videos, called Global Weirding. If you watch those, she answered all the questions that people have, you know, kind of in, in you know, in the in, uh, – in uh, uh you know, parties, you know, about why you'd be skeptical about the science, uh, you know, and, and, you know, while 763 is important, you know, when I think about our classmates, there's so much other work that needs to be done in this space, you know. I mean, when, uh, and I say when, when we get a price on carbon, that's only the beginning, you know. The next thing we need to do is we need to adapt our systems to deal with the warming planet, and we need to figure out ways to pull carbon out of the atmosphere. So there's a lifetime of engineering and project management and all kinds of neat projects and work that are going to be stimulated by this, this effort to, you know, address our climate, uh, you know, uh, crap show that that we're, 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 we're diving into, you know. So, The carbon offset market to me is another fascinating one. I'd like to think that's where I'm going to work once we get HR 763 passed. you know, Um, and, you know, getting trees planted and, you know, getting natural systems, having them go on, you know, uh, over time to try to pull carbon out of the atmosphere, not to mention again, neat technologies to do that with algae and just it's unlimited, you know,
0: um, you know our classmate Chris Smith. I, I don't know if you know him. He worked. Uh, he's company B three. He was also he. He worked in um, Department of Energy in the Obama administration. He he mentioned this book uh, called Climate Change: What Everyone Needs to Know uh, by Joe Rom as a as another in in the comments feed here as a, as a good informative source.
2: Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. I have not read that. But I've been reading on this stuff since a little, again, you know, a high schooler. So I feel comfortable with a lot of the, uh, the, the policy conversations and the science and, you know, and kind of what's in the effects, you know.
0: So Bernard, I told you, the time was going to fly by so fast, right? We have been talking now for yeah. an hour and a half uh, plus, just a little bit more than an hour and a half. It has been so fascinating talking to you. I've always been a huge fan of yours you know going back from when we were cadets i, I recall your just uh, amazing um entrepreneurial and uh spirit your 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 love of life your passion for for traveling we we got the we we're stationed in korea together we got, we crossed paths a couple of times in korea um it's just been a, it's been a complete pleasure and and thank you i'm so i'm so humbled uh, to call you a friend and and classmate i think that you are Doing great things. I, I love the fact that you've continued to serve our country in all these different ways. I just wonder if you have some parting thoughts, any any things to kind of share with us as we as we wrap this up in terms of your journey, the impact of West Point, or anything at all to to leave with our classmates.
2: Yeah. No. Thanks, uh, Jamie. That's kind words. I really appreciate it. And uh, this is again, it's a great project you've put together. And, and I just uh, uh, kudos you are not buying a meal at the next uh, reunion. Everybody who's been on this podcast, well, I'll be the first one to buy your first meal, where, we you know, at, at Thayer or wherever the hell we're at. So uh, you've earned it, and I hope everyone else helps me take care of you when we all reconvene. Um, you know, I thought a lot about parting comments, uh, and I was like, God, I got nothing to share, you know. But as I thought more about it, I guess, I guess this is a part, parting comment, you know, I feel like uh, we've got, we all are, me and, and all our, we've got a lot of life left. And I hope that inspires you that we can make some amazing things happen to our nation, to our state, to our cities, to the planet, you know? And uh, I know it charges my batteries. Um, I'm excited about taking on these challenges if they're daunting. Um, but I feel like. If anybody who's kind of given a skill set from our experience at West Point in the Army, it's us. You know, we're the guys who can help take these things on and try to uh, bring a, a, a you know a better state of affairs uh, to what we face. You know, so uh, I hope we're all taking advantage of that. We acknowledge how how young we are, and we can do some great things. So I. I, I uh, I, I encourage everyone to to understand that and and go get
0: them. You got me all fired up, man! I want to go do some push ups or something. I, that, that's absolutely oh, right. Yeah. Ah. you know, there, we are really young in terms of the grand scheme of things. We should all be able to work at least another twenty five or thirty years, right? We should live. To, we Easy. should live to well into our nineties or hundreds. Like we're we're barely at the halfway mark. We're we may be on the back nine in terms of our our professional career and in terms of our lives, but well, we're barely on the back nine. We're just, we're teeing off on hole 10 right here. That, that's what we're doing.
2: I know. And, and a lot of these guys are done with the army who, who, who kind of have this free time. They've got an income stream. Uh, and, and, and you got a lot of people who have having kids get out of the house, you know? So what a great time to, to double down and refocus yourself on some of these cool challenges we face, given your skill set and, you know, that makes for a richer, rewarding life. That's my take. My take is you take on hard stuff and you wake up the next day and you feel good about what you're doing, you know?
0: That's right. And, you know, and the through line from this all, from, from, from July 1st, 1987 all the way to, 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 to right now to forever is, is that class motto, duty shall be done. Duty shall be done. And, and uh, Bernard, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. We're going to let the credits roll out. Hang on the line. We'll we'll debrief. Thanks.
1: Thank you. This edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast.
0: Hey, man, great job. Your man, you were super, superstar, great, you're a uh,
2: superstar guest. Thank you so much. Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, thanks, man. This is a blast. I uh, I, I got to tell you, there's a small part of me that wishes I was like co-host, man. You can co-host with me. We'll do another <laughs> one. You can co-host. I mean, because I got to tell you, like I said on that pre-call, I, I love the whole radio industry. I mean, now it's all podcast, you know. But uh, I enjoy like the the chemistry that happens. You have a couple people and they're talking with a guest, you know, and it's just it if you can create the chemistry, you can have so much fun with that, you know. Well, we should do one together.
0: We'll do one together. Well, I'll have I, you on as as I a special as a special, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a special uh, guest, you know, or as as the uh, I would as love a to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Right, cool. Hey, cool. you know, you, I I was li- I forgot I forgot who I was listening to. But on one of the podcasts it was like, I don't know, seventeen or something, you had said that McCormick was gonna come on. But I don't he has not come on he yet. He has hasn't? not.
0: He has been dodging me. He's been dodging me. I wanna get him on. Oh, has he? Yeah, he's he and not dodging me, but you know, he, like I, I, I keep on trying to trying to get with him. Because what what I really wanna do is and I I wanna get him with General Bramlett. I wanna get Bram Bramlett, I met Bramlett last year, our 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 Commandant, who Yeah, yeah. I want to – so he's available. I would be able to plug him in with Doug because I'm very interested in, in the relationship between the first captain and the commandant, how that works, you know, like like the back and forth. And I want to ask Bramlin yeah. about how we stole the goat and what that was like when you stole the goat because um, what's interesting, what's really fascinating I, – I, I, did you listen to the podcast with, um, with Ted Russ about st- stealing the goat? I did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. So that so what's fascinating to me is that John Braga was like one of the ringleaders. He's a two star general now. Um, general now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then and then um, uh, and then this guy, Omar Jones, class of 92. He was down at the Naval Academy. He was the one to help figure out what the goat was. He's a two star general. And then Jim Eisenhower from his he was one, one of the other guys that was involved. Uh, class of 90, class of 92. He's a one star general. So, of this wow. small group of, like, five or six cadets that stole the goat, three of them are general officers today. And Eisenhower has a story about when he was a, um, when he was a major a lieutenant colonel, he was working for General Dempsey, who was the chairman of Joint Chiefs, and they were, out in, um, they were out in Schofield Barracks, and Bramlett retired out there, so he lives in Hawaii, and they were at the Oak Club, and uh, and Bram and so Dempsey asked Bramlett to come over. And say, hey, you know, uh, Dave, come on over here. I want I want to talk to you. You uh, know, this is uh, Colonel Eisenhower. He's one of the kids that's, that stole the goat, right? And Bramlett was like, oh, yeah. Bramlett was like, we're not fucking talking about that right now. He was still pissed off about the goat, like you know, twenty five years later. Yeah. So he was like, we're not fucking talking. Uh, yeah. About that. Yeah. So <laughs> so th- there's still some like just. I, I want to know, like, I, I think that he took some heat as the comm when we stole the goat and, it, like, they couldn't produce the goat. I want to hear what happened. That sounds like that was a, probably a pretty fascinating...
2: That backstory has got to be incredible. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and I yeah. think
0: people love the story about the behind-the-scenes thing. I like the idea of being able to talk to General Bramlett and being able to say, what was it like dealing with Doug as a first captain, also as a class of 91, you know, like... What happened during the, like, tell me about, like, our graduation parade. We lost all of our, all, our full-dress grades were, were destroyed. Like, what did you, like, yeah. what were you nope, thinking? Yeah. Like, all that kind of stuff. Like, I want to I wanna hear that kind of, like, those kind of stories, you know?
2: Yeah, how those conversations go with, like, the, the laundry people going, we can't get these things back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You, you destroyed half stress. of them. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And the other person, the other person, I'm dying to get on. I gotta find. I'm, I want to find the blood lady. I gotta find this. Like she's probably some, you know, grandmother now, like some, like you know, sixty year old woman or something, who can, like, what was it like when you went to the poop deck and started talking about giving blood, and the whole place erupted and went crazy, and people are running to the poop deck with like blood in their hands? What were you thinking? Like, what, like, what was the impression of like? Like, are these people insane? Like, like, you know, the, like I, I would love to hear like from this, this old bitty,
2: like what, what was her story of the, of the blood lady? Oh, I don't, I don't doubt that would be very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, if you can get Doug, uh, you know, I would love to co-host that one, um, or, or anybody else just pick one, man. I, I, I would love to, to hang out online and, and, you know, and, and, uh, and share in the conversation, sharp few questions.
0: Um, well, I'll let you know. I mean, like it's uh, it's beginning to pick up some, some more steam again. Like initially, like there's a lot of people who are willing to be on it, and then it kind of like died off. Now it's like a lot more people are looking to be on it again. So, um, so I I'll, I'll definitely let you know. We're gonna get some more some more guests coming up. Uh, my main priority right yeah. now is hitting every company. You know, so I haven't quite gotten every company represented yet, but I'm still, and I'm also very um. I, I try to be, um, I make sure that I've got sufficient diversity. You know, we've got people of color, we got men, we got women, career army officers, yeah, civilians. No, great. So we got a good balance no. there too. So, uh, trying to
2: maintain that. So. Uh, no, that's great. You know,
1: um, I, 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 I when... put, put them on, put them yes. on speaker, put them on speaker. Gene dog. dog, you're on
2: speaker, and uh, and Jamie's still on the line. What's so up, man? So be careful what you
0: say. That was a crazy that was a crazy picture of you jumping off that 10-meter board with uh, with Bernard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, there
1: wasn't time to, I don't know if I remember
2: specifically, but uh, about .1 seconds. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess there's we a little dr- times. there's a little dre- times. Yeah, we did it several times, which is even more stupid, you know. <laughs> 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 when you think about his engineering concerns, you know, we're gonna we're gonna smack each other in the middle air, you know. <laughs>
1: well, you probably would if there was a quarter
2: of mile a- Well, there you go. Uh, I didn't. I didn't realize it made much of a difference, but I guess it, yeah, it's just a tiny, huh? Yeah, it was like
1: it did it many times, like, it was like you could feel the drag. I could feel it when you went down. You could feel the difference when you jumped freefall versus like that.
2: I could. No, I could too, but it was still so it, damn fast. It's like
1: I want to like yeah, float down, you know. Tough, but you know, <laughs> a point .1 difference. Like when you're doing the hundred yard dash, the point one difference between those guys running the Olympics is huge. That's
0: a big difference, yeah. That's a full that's a full body length, yeah. 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 Anyway, that's yeah, a good one, man. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Hey, Gene, have you listened to other podcasts?
1: Yeah, I listened to a few. Uh listened to Dan Clark, but he canceled it that one night, and he came back and didn't uh, get
0: the uh, second. Uh, oh, you got to listen to that one. one. That one got, that one got pretty intense at one point. You got to listen to that one. Go that was on, a good one. Yeah. Go, yeah. go to the 90 minute Mark. That was, uh, that was pretty crazy. Started talking about how his, how his, um, how his house got shot up when he was one years old. So that was pretty wild. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. I, I did. Go ahead, Gene. Intermittently to a few others, but, um, I should be more uh, uh, more astute on the timing of this. Sometimes I'm doing some work at night.
0: But, well, the key, uh, the key thing the key one. thing what you want to do is you want to listen to it on Podbean. That's the best way to listen to it. You download it onto your phone, then you can listen to it. You can fast forward. You can play it on on two x speed. That way, that's definitely the best way to listen. If you're like you know, if you listening live on Facebook, you just want to do it live on Facebook once. Like otherwise, you know, download it on Podbean. It's a better way to listen. So,
2: Yeah, that's I, yeah. that's what I've been doing, Gene. I've been listening always on Podbean. Uh, that's what I need
1: to do. Then, Yeah, I think you had mentioned that before. You just download the, uh, uh, the voice. The app.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's an app. I mean, I can make it available on Stitcher and on iTunes and all that kind of crap, but I don't really want that big of an audience. I'm not looking for an audience beyond our classmates. I mean, this is really just for us not something that I want anybody else listening to or like I have no desire to have followers or monetize it. I just am doing it for our class and that's it. So I'm keeping it small on Podbean that way. So Are you doing it every week or versus... I'm sorry?
1: Well,
0: how often you doing it? How often are you doing it? I, I'm, how, do- how you- <laughs> I'm doing it like about every other week or maybe you know, maybe three or four every two months, depending upon, you know, how the, how the holidays are falling and whatnot. So, I uh, try to do it on Sunday nights. I think that's a good time for people to listen and, um, and then you can, you know, download it afterwards. So, but anyway, guys, it was been a lot of fun. Uh, great time tonight. Thank you for, thank you for your time. I'm going to, I'm going to sign off now cause I got to go do a couple more things, yeah, here. Yeah. but, uh,
1: it was I great.
0: know. Hey, thanks again. It was awesome. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Take care.
1: All right. All uh, right. Talk to you later. All right. Uh, bye bye.